Hello, welcome to the Sweet Caroline podcast, and by that I mean the Bomb Squad podcast. Uh, this is our 30th time recording this. We have been stopped by the forces of God several times, but today we're talking about racism, and by that I mean Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the second of the Marvel shows originally supposed to be the first, but because of COVID and bullshit, it came out second. I'm personally of the opinion that that would have been a little bit disastrous, but um, that's also maybe a subjective take because people might have liked WandaVision coming out more second. You can never really know how things would have been, but from what I'm observing right now, people are less excited generally for this one. Yeah, which maybe that's because it's following the weird, interesting, weird one. Uh, or maybe it's because it's just inferior. We'll get into that, but before we actually get into our thoughts about the show... I think we should talk about the titular characters of the show and what they've been doing in the MCU up until this point. Bucky and Sam. What did you think of their journey in the MCU up until this point, Austin? Bucky and Sam. Um, I, now, mind you, I always thought Sebastian Stan was a great actor. He's one of those guys where when he comes into a movie, I don't know how long he's been on the scene. I think since like maybe the 2010s or when I'm noticing him. He's got a really magnetic presence. And by that, I mean, I'm bi. He's hot. I think he's bi, too. Uh, as far as being the Winter Soldier, I think that the most compelling thing about Bucky was when Steve Rogers was alive, how far he was willing to go for Bucky. I think that's what, what really made his character so far in the Marvel series is that no matter how deep in Bucky got, Steve was trying to recover, you, you know, Bucky from the abyss. And that was that was really amazing to watch throughout the course of uh, the Winter Soldier and Civil War. And now that Steve is gone, I think this is the perfect time to give him his own show. And um, I've got an embarrassing admission to make about specifically the Falcon. Okay, what's the admission, sir? Tanner, my birthday party's in July. You gotta promise me you're coming to my birthday party before I tell you. Mm, there better be Adderall. <laughs> my, my favorite scene with the Falcon in the entire of the Marvel canon so far is when he gets his ass kicked by Ant-Man. This is racism. This is exactly what this show is rallying against. Listen, I have movies about black superheroes on my shelf over here. I, I I have friends who are black. I have friends who like Blade. I've seen a Falcon that's black. I can't be. This isn't my problem. I just think that when the guy from Wet Hot American Summer got real tiny and beat up Anthony Mackie, that it was the most <laughs> compelling scene with the Falcon in it in all of the Infinity Saga movies. Listen, this isn't a problem with me, okay? I think that Falcon was sort of one of those, like, interesting Avengers where he didn't have superpowers. All he had was gear. And the person who pulls that off best, you've got, like, uh, DC has Batman, Marvel has Iron Man. Every other human, like Hawkeye, for instance, you get this kind of weird feeling when they're on screen with the rest of the Avengers. It's like, dude, I don't care if you have, like, Olympic medalist reflexes. You're not an Avenger, really. This so, is Hawkeye slander. Hawkeye's my favorite Avenger. Him and Falcon reside in that same place in my mind where it's like, oh, you're a pilot with a nice robo suit. Hmm. That's really cool. That guy's the god of thunder. <laughs> okay, I guess when you're comparing it to a literal god of thunder, it's a bit of tough competition. <laughs> listen, listen, Hawkeye maybe ain't can't stand up to the god of thunder, but I'll tell you who Hawkeye can beat. Grant, the god of hammers. Check out our Thor vidcast. Came out a while ago and it's doing numbers. <laughs> oh boy, baby, this is doing numbers. Uh, no, my opinion of these characters up until this point is I love Bucky. Bucky's great. Bucky's awesome. Bucky was dead in the comics for like 30 years. <laughs> I used to hear a, a phrase. I think I read it in a Wikipedia article once. There are three comic book characters that don't come back. And it's like Bucky, Dick Grayson, and Uncle Ben. Yeah, they're the characters that stay that, except I think it's Jason Todd, not Dick Grayson. But, you know, there's ah. been like 20 Robins. I can't blame you for confusing them. There <laughs> are too many people who have been Robin. But the funny thing is Jason Todd does not get the Jesus treatment. Yeah, he comes back and he's like, I'm Batman, but with guns, baby, uh, which is, you know, something. 
And then, you know, Bucky came back as the Winter Soldier. He was briefly Captain America after Cat, after Steve Rogers was assassinated by Sharon Carter in the Civil War comic. And then Bucky died after Cap came back. And also there was a John Walker in here. I do not like the Civil War comic at all. I think it sucks. Bucky was Cap after that, and he died, but yada, yada, yada. Uh, this Bucky in the MCU up to this point, his defining characteristic has been, you're right, Steve loves him. Steve and Bucky... Sometimes you think, oh, they fucking. Oh, they fucking. Oh, they fucking. Because, you know, they just have such <laughs> chemistry and charisma and you got to love them. With Sam, Sam, I, I was never too impressed with. Like, I love Anthony Mackie as an actor. You know, when Eminem destroyed him in that rap battle in 8 Mile, shit ruled. He's just, he's a good, <laughs> talented actor. And my favorite moments with Falcon and the MCU are the more quiet moments with him. Like in Winter Soldier when he's leading a group of veterans in like this PTSD therapy session that shit ruled he's such a he, he's a good man before he's a good hero which is probably why Steve Rogers picked him to be Captain America but I think this will allow us to transition into the actual show very well uh Sam doesn't want to be Captain America nope he turns that shield right in first episode he says hello government put the shield in the Smithsonian and the government's like alright it'll stay in the Smithsonian Someone get a white soldier in here! <laughs> uh, Tanner, I, I I did not expect this to have the reaction it did. Um, I get on Facebook oh after God. the premiere of the very first episode, and mind you, the first horror movie I ever saw with my dad was The Thing. I have a deep spot in my heart for Kurt Russell. I, whenever I see that bearded face, I think, God, Kurt Russell's such a lovable guy! And then... Oh, how they massacred my boy! <laughs> they massacred his son. There, there are a few celebrities who have kids who look just like them. For instance, like Meryl Streep's daughter. And Kurt Russell also has a kid who looks just like we got a second Kurt Russell thrown in there. And then, oh, the show! They King Joffrey'd him. They Dolores Umbridged him. They gave him a role where he was so fucking hateable from the very first time he comes on camera that for days, that whole weekend after that Friday this came out, I had to get on my app and watch people slander the son of one of my favorite actors as if he was personally the mascot of racism. He got death threats. What? He, he came out in an interview and said he was sent death threats over his performance. Which, you know, tells me that uh, y'all motherfuckers need to go outside. Listen here, Wyatt Russell. <laughs> Give back the Captain America shield or there's going to be problems. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's um, uh, Woody Harrelson in the Venom after credits. And he's like, there's going to be carnage. <laughs> he's like, he's like, how'd you get this number? I feel so bad for him, but I also have a feeling Wyatt Russell, like, turned around and, like, behind the door, there was, like, the replica shield from set, and he's like, God damn it, how did they know? I knew I shouldn't have taken that. <laughs> he's just like, oh, funny joke. He just go, opens his closet. It's the closet from Watchmen, with where, except instead of the KKK rope, it's it's the shield. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's just looking at it like, where did I go wrong? Wait, <laughs> how'd you feel about the, the first episode starting off? Because I think that this kind of... Um, it's like a, like a parabola. Like, it starts off in this really distinguishably memorable way, uh, as most TV shows have to, and then it dips into a lot of plot that's mostly set up for the last two episodes. How'd you feel about the start of this show? I think that opening chase sequence with the plane and Falcon doing his Falcon shit, I was like, oh, this show's gonna be awesome! This is what, this is the good Marvel action. Like, Marvel has some good action and some bad action. But this is their good action, I think. Unlike WandaVision, where it was like, boom, 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 boom. This was good action, and it starts off, and I'm like, this is going to be a jam-packed, action-filled show. Sam Wilson got denied a bank loan? <laughs> <laughs> because he didn't have income when he was dead? What? What's that line from Anchorman? The Human Torch took out a bank loan. <laughs> the Human Torch was denied a bank loan. <laughs> now Ron Burgundy's got to just be like, uh, the Falcon got denied a bank loan. Yeah, yeah, it was so like, what the hell? This is too real. 
This it, is like, whoa, this is the socio-political implications of Thanos wiping everyone out. I never realized there were socio-political implications. And then the entire show was like, oh boy, we got some socio-political implications for you. It's interesting because that's one thing that I thought almost from the very beginning was done noticeably poorly is um, the show attempting to tackle specifically the general vibe that people have these days, that there is political unrest. And I think this is because the faction that can explain the actual material reasons for the political unrest happening is not allowed to be explored in Hollywood because of the nature in which films are funded. Because films take a lot of money to make. You have to basically take a giant wheelbarrow of $100 bills and burn it to make a movie come out. And usually that requires, you know... A lot of rich people to be involved with the creation of the show. And one thing rich people don't like being told is that specifically the system of how money is is dealt out to people is at is to blame for the people feeling politically um, disenfranchised, you know, right. So often in Hollywood films, you don't get a leftist point of view that concerns with like capitalism and the uneven distribution of resources. You get something more neoliberal where it's like, oh, uh, violence is bad. We can talk this out. We can vote our way out of this. Let the state have a monopoly on violence. And what was interesting was I think this show walked an interesting line. Yeah. Well, the, the, the reason that I, I started this off with the whole, like, oh, they handled it kind of poorly is specifically one scene with Don Cheadle in a museum. Oh, that scene. I remember when I see Don Cheadle, I literally, I didn't say, oh, it's War Machine or, oh, it's Rhodey. I literally leapt out of my seat and said, Don Cheadle! <laughs> <laughs> my brain has been corrupted by memes. You know, it's a weird scene where he's like, Sam Wilson, man neoliberal bullshit i don't know it was real <laughs> i i was wondering how far they were going to go with this because uh don Cheadle, you know has uh the ear of falcon and he's like listen the world's all kinds of crazy it's all messed up right now because the the, the, mo the sentence would appear you know why is the world messed up and then he just goes world's a crazy place right now people are well nobody's stable Everyone's unstable. <laughs> the world is yes. messed up because everything is unstable, Tanner. The world is messed up because, man, the world is messed up. Everyone's off balance, and so the world's messed up. Nobody can stand on one leg anymore. I think the show eventually addresses it, but they get real. The first three episodes, they're too vague. They're too vague about the problems. Yes, and they didn't have to be because you know what's stronger than Captain America's shield? Racism. The way this show uh, tries to tackle real-world problems while keeping it entirely in a fake Marvel scenario, which is to say, the snap. That is an impenetrable fucking way for the writers of this show not to have to address capitalism. And honestly, it kind of works. It, it does. Once they actually address the fucked-up shit that happens because of people leaving and coming back and what that caused, it's like, oh, okay, that's real interesting. You brought up Wyatt Russell and standout. He was a standout for me. His performance was so fucking good when, um, you know, Lamar Hoskins, his best friend, you know, bites it. Um, first off, holy shit. Holy shit. That was so unceremonial in like a heartbreaking way. It was just, yep, fucking snapped his neck against the pillar. He got kicked to death, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, basically. Carly kicked him so hard, his neck snapped. Yeah, he, he hit a pillar and he fucking died. He bit it. Uh. And Wyatt Russell, a.k.a. John Walker, snaps, which let's talk about John Walker in general, because I think a lot of people agree that he might be the standout character of the show. What an arc. <laughs> Just all the character development, and especially, it's kind of hard to untie what you like about the show from the social issues it tackles. Because John Walker's character is kind of a critique on we bring, we build these killing machines, bring them back home, and then we don't give them resources they need to, to adjust. 
And also, we make them fight fights on our behalf that are not inherently good fights. So we, we can train them to, uh, you know, sometimes use violence to solve the problems of the state, and that can have, like, mental repercussions on the soldier. So in the first couple episodes, I thought it would be more fitting if Wyatt Russell ran a restaurant that served French fries and burgers with a, a little golden M on, on the top of it because he was a clown. <laughs> Because he was a fucking clown. He, he clearly, it, 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 being Captain America is a lot of fucking pressure. Especially when you're handpicked by your government and you're a three-time Medal of Honor winner. Nobody else has more than two. Most of the people who have two, here's the thing. Like, I think a solid third of all Medal, Medal of Honor recipients received it posthumously. So oh. they got it because they sacrificed their fucking life. Very few people have two. Nobody has ever had three. And this guy has three. I actually didn't have enough no, like military knowledge to know how crazy that was. Getting two is insane. Three has never happened in real life. Ah. And oh. they also talk about like the things I did to get those Medal of Honors. They don't tell you what he did, but you get the implication it was shady. <laughs> we both know the things that we had to do in Afghanistan to be awarded those medals felt a long way from being right. I had the misimpression that he wasn't going to match up to Bucky or Falcon. I thought this was going to be a power arc for Bucky and Falcon and um, that this guy was going to be proven to be, how can I say, the someone who ties up long balloons at children's parties. Just a foil. And they made him a full-fledged new character, which was so mind-blowing uh, over time. And I, I also like that there's something crazy, but this show canonized a few things in the Marvel Universe that we're going to get to in the sort of, like, social aspect questions, <laughs> partially through John Walker and a line of dialogue. Um, I thought he was... Yarak War! Yeah, that... I, I thought that John Walker was really compelling. I, I think that he made a very fun, hateable character. It was cool watching him fight and abuse the shield. Yeah, uh, I, the shield in this show, by the way, is just as much a character as any of the humans is, which I thought was neat. Was it canon that John Walker knew that Falcon gave up the shield thinking it would be in a museum and not in his hands? Do you think John Walker knew about that? I want to say no, because the show wants it, at least when it starts, wants to portray John Walker as a good guy. Like, maybe not the best guy, but a good guy. The show goes out of his way to be like, yeah, you know, this guy, he's uh, clever, he's smart, he's a good soldier, he's not a bad man. Even though everyone just instantly hates him because he comes out into costume with a shit-eating grin and a wink, and everyone's like, fuck you. I want to know what strange camera angle they were using, because do you know about that, um go away green color from Disneyland where they paint the doors a color of green that makes the human eye like gloss over it. Yeah. That's a magical camera angle very similar to go away green where anyone you put in that shot is going to look like a silly fucking cartoon. Like I did not recognize that this person looked anything like Kurt Russell. He looked like the most racist thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, whenever they first show him, he has like the biggest nose ever too. Like everyone's like he looks like the guy from Up. <laughs> he does. I, I don't know how they did it. It's impressive, especially because in subsequent episodes, even when he's wearing the mask, he doesn't look weird. I don't know what they did. They found the magic camera angle that makes you look like a shitty Pixar character. And I got to say, uh, what what's her name? The Handmaid's Tale lady. Carrie, right? Right. Yeah, Carrie, you did great with this show. You did great directing Malcolm's words. Speaking of Carrie or Kari or Carly, <laughs> the Flag Smashers. Do you want to tell me what you thought of the Flag Smashers, Tanner? I thought they fucking ruled. <laughs> I was, I've was i honestly been very surprised with people thinking they are the worst Marvel villain ever. Did you guys forget Iron Man 2? <laughs> did did, did, did you what? guys forget Thor the Dark World? Yeah, wasn't Iron Man 2 that guy with the silly whips on, on yeah. the end of his wrists? And then well, Whiplash is a cool character in the comics that they butchered in the movie. Iron Man 3 also had a silly villain, and, uh, yeah, Thor the Dark World, who was it, Malekith? Whoever the... Dark Elf. <laughs> Doctor Who, I think, played him. 
uh, one thing I've been noticing is that the internet landscape of people talking about this, it's they almost are trying to tell you their personal political opinions and almost ignore any effort the show made to look cool or give you character development. Like, I feel like there's just some people out there who are like, oh, this show is too woke. The Flag Smashers ruined it. And there are some people who are like, it's not, they're not saying this, but it's not woke enough. Oh, yeah, there's the other side. Specifically with the Flag Smashers. Because portraying any anarchist as bad is bad, I guess. It's it's interesting because I, I think that this is going to get it gets a similar treatment as Killmonger. But the difference is most people are on board with like black liberation tactics because we all completely agree that like a society where all the black people are better off is going to be good. And that's what Killmonger was after. Whereas when you just make it like blank slate anarchists, anyone could join. All they have to do is believe, and they're just fighting for the idea of a society without social hierarchies. Not everybody has, like, played that game out mentally yet. So when they start, like, hurting people and doing things, you can't as easily, like, picture what they're fighting for or why they're trying to do that. So you're like, oh, this is... Or this isn't what a real anarchist would do, where it is. This this is probably happened. This has probably it's happened... So- to some leftist groups. <laughs> it's so wild because the show, in the end, fundamentally says, yeah, they were right. The Flag Smashers were correct. They were doing the, the wrong things for the right reasons. But then there are people who are like, yeah, they're doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. Like, what the fuck? Are you guys pro-borders? Are you guys pro-violently <laughs> displacing 50 million people? You ever, you ever seen those sad pictures of refugees? You want that to happen in Marvel movies now? Like, what the hell? They, the Flagmasters were correct, which, you know, oh my god, leads to one of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen in the Marvel movie where Falcon's being, like, portrayed as the angel of mercy as he's carrying Carly's body back down, which was, I just thought was a really, just a beautiful shot. And then he goes into neoliberal speech, which I actually found very moving. Apparently other people think it's stupid, but. I I, I found it, uh, it was exciting. I got feelings in my chest. Um, I I can't remember if I cried, but it was very nice because it reminded me of that. I cried when Isaiah Bradley showed up. That's when I cried. When he was giving that speech. So I think it was last week's episode, episode five after he had his second meeting with Isaiah Bradley, that I started joking to friends that this show was about Barack Obama. Because what's interesting is, in actual, like, leftist movements, you almost always have to use violence. So this is a parable about, like, progressive movements that they're always good until they start hurting people, and then that's magically extremism. If the state didn't already have a monopoly on violence, that wouldn't really be necessary, right? Right. What What's the show's solution to that? What is the ideal model explored in the final episode? And it appears to be us being represented by a black guy who has some sway over politicians, right? Oh my God, it is about Barack Obama. So my joke partially lands that this is kind of about Barack Obama, <laughs> but the difference is that Falcon, Falcon's a good person. Right, no, Falcon... And that was a good, well-worded speech. I, I saw some people say it was overly written. What? Captain America gets to sound overly written. That's the thing. There's a... When he finally becomes Captain fucking America, it rules. Like, that last episode, the action was top-notch. Everything about that last episode was... Episodes five and six. Listen, first three episodes, I'm like, this is good. I'm enjoying it, but this isn't, like, special like WandaVision was. Episode four, I'm like, all right, all right, you're starting to draw me in. Episode five and six, I'm like, Earlier, I don't know if I said it in this uh, recording of this, but it has reverse WandaVision syndrome. WandaVision was started off just incredibly strong. It was like some Twin Peaks level weird shit. And then it really dipped off in the last two episodes because it was just episode four taken out into it just felt like normal marvel stuff that we'd seen a lot before whereas with this oh man it starts out kind of strong because i'd be really embarrassed if disney couldn't do a good for pilot episode of one of these shows then it's a lot of like setting up dominoes like watching a guy in a museum just set up a bunch of dominoes and then the yeah. last two episodes are just what happens when you boop the dominoes down it got really yeah. good right at the end when the credits were done rolling in episode six i was like no come back 
Come back. Like, I just I just started liking this. Like, in my opinion, thank God they had Zemo. Otherwise, I think I might have really just checked out episodes three and four. That's a character. Because thank God Zemo was there. Because, oh, man, Zemo. Zemo ruled. Zemo! A principled man. There's that one scene where, like, you know, he gets the super soldier serum and he's like, hmm. Starts crushing him. And I'm like, yeah, that's he's firm in his morals type of thing. That ruled. Zemo, I I was honestly, because I... As a leftist, I kind of empathize with the Flag Smashers because, you know, maybe once Carly's gone, they won't have, like, a total psychopath in charge, and they might do different things where they don't kill innocent people but instead kill people who are directly causing problems, which is actually where she was going wrong. And they're being loaded into the the fucking van to be taken onto the raft in the last episode, and the guy who's loading them in there is like... What's up, dude? I'm on your side. And uh, they start going off, and then... And then Zemo's butler is in a car, and he's like, got their asses. Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. Which, hey, good thing tying up that loose string, because having four super soldiers on the loose wouldn't be bad. And you bring up Carly, how she's like just a sociopath, psychopath, whatever. I think that's true to an extent, but also I think something a lot of people are forgetting... That character's like 17. I was going to bring this up. Um, I think it's really smart. Do you, do you know uh, when that actress was born? Like, what year that actress was born? Probably this. Was it too? Please tell me she was born on 9-11. Yeah, it was 1998, but that would be really Hey, amazing. that's my birth year. Yeah, yeah, she was born the same year as you. And I was wondering because this is like, like, it's not very often that you see anarchists depicted in media that everyone tries to watch like there were no anarchists on the big bang theory there were no anarchists in like um you know sports movies uh so with this it's like a really rare incident and they chose to make it a 17 year old or they 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 made it a 17 year old portrayed by a young actress who hasn't been in super much like people know her from like the solo movie but she's pretty new on the scene so they didn't choose anybody with like uber charisma like like super charismatic like that was almost the thing with killmonger was he was one of the most likable actors on the scene at the time on the planet (laughs) with this they chose an unknown young person and i didn't know why for the longest time and then in retrospect it makes complete sense because she doesn't have it all figured out either yeah, when, like, there's that scene where, like, Sam's trying to talk her down in episode four, which was, like, one of the most Captain America-y things he did in the entire show. He's like, listen, you're right. I agree with you. You're just going about it wrong. And, like, he almost convinces her until John Walker shows up and ruins everything. You know what's something I don't like about, like, Marvel criticism in general? Is what? that everybody has a version of it in their head that could have been better than the one on screen. And it's all based on like personal tastes. And so people don't think about things like, oh, she was a teenager. So she was more impulsive. Her brain wasn't done growing yet. In fact, like the screenwriters did that deliberately. Like the idea to not make Carly this super likable figure uh, to show that she was made leader out of almost desperation more than anything. That was something that like Malcolm Spellman probably considered. And I bet there's a lot of people who didn't like Carly because it wasn't their idea of what Joseph Stalin or Castro would have been like, you know, as a Marvel person. There's also some Marvel nerds who don't like her because in the comics, it's Carl Morgenthal who is a grown-ass man. Okay, well, that would have... Because, you know, uh, doing anything, gender-bending a character, that's white genocide. (laughs) Listen, Tanner, I don't know if you've read the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. (laughs) Have you... Listen, Tanner, I've got this book called The Bell Curve, and it's the sole reason I've never gotten laid. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, listen. Falcon and the Winter Soldier is cultural Marxism. I, I think it's really interesting that um, th- there was this imperfect 17-year-old going up against all of this, trying to be the leader of the Flag Smashers. Hold tight, move fast. One world. Uh, Zemo provided a really nice contrast to all of this because he's like a more old-school, like, supervillain with, with very different goals. Like, he thinks that helping the world is just making sure there are no more people with the super soldier serum in it. Yeah, which principled. He has that one rant about 
getting the super soldier serum inherently makes one a supremacist. It's a supremacist ideology. And and also, uh, which was like a really interesting thing. And then even Sam Wilson's like, what about Steve Rogers? And he's like, touche. But there hasn't been another Steve Rogers. I, I thought that was so weird because the, the super soldiers that we had just been introduced to were anarchists. Anarchy, like, like anarchism is trying to create a society where no one has hierarchies. There is no one superior. No supremacy. But like, I, I guess, again, it's just that's just his ideology. Does it make a lot of sense in that context? No. But to him, it's like super soldiers are the problem. Except for Bucky, I guess. I, I, I still don't really get that, but... It, it is interesting enacting a sort of left-wing society that's going for equality by using a group of people who hold all the power, because I think there are examples from history where that became <laughs> Stalinism. Yeah, that did it, uh... Oh, he's just like, listen, anarchy is the proper ideology, but if we go about it the way the flag smashers are doing, we're gonna we're gonna have some five year plans that aren't really good for us. <laughs> One day, you're going around and uh, every every supermarket is a farmer's market, but then you notice that they're building a new building. It's called a gulag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, with that, uh. Really, I think the only thing left to touch on is the one aspect of the show I actively disliked. Are you talking about the blonde lady? <laughs> yeah, Sharon Carter, played by Emily Van Camp, which it's not that I dislike Emily Van Camp. I actually think she's a great actress, but uh, she's in this TV show called The Resident, which I really enjoy. It's a dumb medical drama that's less sex crazy than Grey's Anatomy. But, you know, it, it's a fun show. She's in it. She's great in it. I liked her in the previous Marvel movies. In this show, her character just... Whoop, 180, just complete 180. She's like a horrible human being, alcoholic. And I'm just like, what the hell happened? This is such a stark 180 that I don't understand how we got to this point. And then in the final episode, it's also revealed, haha, she's the power broker. And I was like, oh man, I really thought Julia Lewis Dreyfus was going to be the power broker. And I remember, oh wait, Julia Lewis Dreyfus was a member of the US government? By the way, Julia Lewis Dreyfus is in the show. <laughs> I, every time, because my husband is like one of the world's biggest Seinfeld fans to the point where it's annoying because I don't like Seinfeld all too much. Um, every time that Julia Louise Dreyfus was on screen, for starters, I thought her villain introduction was just the shittiest. And two, every time she was on screen, I could not stop saying like, Elaine, what are you doing? Why is Elaine doing this? <laughs> I want to say something about her quote unquote shitty villain introduction. Marvel spoilers ahead. Turn back now if you are avoiding spoilers for Marvel Phase 4. This wasn't supposed to be her introduction. Whoa. She's in the Black Widow movie. Oh! Okay. So this wasn't supposed to be a, oh, we have this big old character thing. Uh, Her introduction was supposed to be... (laughs) In the Black Widow movie, which makes sense because in this show, it feels more like, hey, here's this character you've seen before and less like, we got this actress that's very selective about her roles. Look, we got the Veep lady. We, we, we got Seinfeld. And it, it was so bad, like, because she's coming off like the way she's talking to specifically John Walker as if she is like the person who pulls the strings at the CIA and the FBI. Like, have you ever heard of, um, I, I think uh, his name is John Negroponte. You ever heard of that guy? Yes. Okay, John Negroponte, for anyone who doesn't know, was appointed by the Bush administration to be the first person ever to be the head of all the intelligence agencies at once. So Elaine was pretending to be John Negroponte. And um, the way that they introduce her is just like... comes in and she sits down and she's like hey guess what you should pick up the phone when i call (laughs) like it was so weird hey you actually know what i'm just looking at the current director of national intelligence and she kind of not really but it is a white woman with with brown hair so she kind of looks like julia lewis dreyfus but yeah sharon carter in the show what a letdown she was a complete 180 from her character I think I could tell that Emily Van Camp wasn't feeling this character development either because it kind of feels like her performance is phoned in in parts. In other parts, she's doing fine, but in a lot of other parts, it's feels completely phoned in. It almost kind of ruins the climax of the last episode. For me, it did. Because she's just like, 
I'm the power broker, haha, gun, gun, boom, boom. And I'm just like, I don't, what the fuck? And then she's the after credit scene, and I'm like, oh no, they're gonna make this a big thing. This is actually the first kind of big misstep I've felt from Marvel in a while. Unless, because I've seen this theorized, unless she's a scroll. Oh, okay. In which case, all is forgiven. <laughs> uh, what, one thing I have to say that is a negative for me about uh, specifically this show is that there are some characters who have been buried in the universe for so long that I didn't remember who they were or what they Balrog. did. Balrog. <laughs> specifically, that French guy. Wee oui, wee oui, baguette. I, I had no idea who that guy was. He's just like, I want revenge on the Falcon. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? And then I Googled it afterwards and I'm like, the winner, you are in like five minutes of a movie from seven years ago. What the fuck? And I had the same problem with Emily Van Camp. When she showed up in Madripoor, I was like, who is this person? This is forever ago. And her character was so completely different that it just it didn't make any goddamn sense but it, it turns out she's a scroll masterwork by marvel if this is just a bad decision that sucks okay th- i think we said all we wanted to do about the show in general the social issues the social issues for me the standouts were two things race relations in america racism in america and ptsd veterans specifically in episode five it's just a specific scene I want to highlight when John Walker is being stripped of his title of Captain America after he decapitates a guy in public. He's like, I think there's some context you're missing. And it's like, we have all the context. This isn't a hearing. You don't have to explain. You don't get to explain yourself. You're lucky you're not being court-martialed. And and he was just like, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, you made me. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. This, this show had some exciting things canonized. Two specific exciting things that it made canon in the Marvel Universe. And that is American racism. Apparently just fully paralleling that of, a, of reality. And uh, the, the Iraq War, or the, the war in Afghanistan. Which one is it? Uh, I think he specifically referenced being in Afghanistan, but the Iraq War is referenced in the first Iron Man movie. Oh, Actually, yeah. I think the first Iron Man starts off in Afghanistan because that's when the war was still kind of new. Yeah, it takes that thing from WandaVision, the scene where the bomb drops on her house, and it expands it. It's sort of like uh, the legacy of America is, is more resembling the legacy of America, the, the sort of Howard Zinn or the, the, the sort of legacy that we're now gradually understanding since the history books aren't completely like whitewashed by people anymore. And that's that was really incredible. I think the, the biggest moment in the whole series for me was the second time that he goes to meet with Isaiah Bradley. Same. And they just really established just like you're you're a black person in America. Why are you fighting on this team specifically for the country, America, not for yourself or something else. You're fighting for this nation that, like, enslaved your people and up till, like, the late 60s didn't even want you to vote. And it's just, it's really nice because I always wanted Marvel movies to be rated R, but I'm slowly realizing within the confines of the PG-13 thing that is required to make these marketable, you could tackle some themes that are usually reserved for R-rated movies, like complex political stuff, you know? Yeah, uh, Isaiah Bradley I specifically want to touch on because the whole thing about how he was, he and several other black regiment men were experimented on against their will, and here's what here's what Isaiah Bradley does. He goes and rescues 25 of his men who will be prisoners of war from a camp. He brings them home all by himself. What does he get? He gets 30 years in prison, years of experiments, in a way that kind of sort of paralleled the Tuskegee Civilist study in general, I thought. But he, he is punished for saving the day, quote-unquote. Which was a direct parallel to Steve Rogers in the first Avenger, who does the same thing! I, uh, I, have, a, I have a bone to pick, and it's based on an Easter egg. So I have a screenshot here on my phone uh, from the actual plaque shown in the statue of the last episode that Sam uses to make amends with Isaiah Bradley for what the government did. And if you look closely, it says, 
However, fearful of the ramifications of a black super soldier, some individuals within the government tried to er erase Isaiah's history. It's the government tried to erase Isaiah's history. I want to, because even the show explicitly says it's the government, which makes me think maybe, maybe this is like a, imagine Sam Wilson goes to the Captain America Museum, like write this prac down. And he's like, and they're like, okay, yeah, we can write it. Hold up. You're blaming the whole government. Uh-uh, we need to change that. Listen, what is this? And they hold up just the most disgusting-looking apple you've ever seen. <laughs> that. What is this? That, Where'd that, you get this? Th this is a bad apple, okay? Listen, the entire government can't be racist at one time. Sam's just like, yes, it can. And they're like, but we can't say that. <laughs> we can't put that in the museum. That's for the history book. Listen, if we don't blame certain individuals for the mistakes of history, people will just think that everyone can get better, and it's not just about toppling villains. Like, seriously, what's really crazy was, I remember when they released the mid-season trailer for Captain America, and there's this line where he says, I bled for this country, ain't nobody gonna tell me I can't fight for it. We bled for this country. I'm not gonna let anybody tell me I can't fight for it. Apparently that was an, they kind of cut that lineup because in the show, it's in the last episode where he meets up with Isaiah Bradley for the last time. And Isaiah Bradley is like happy, which was cool. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, the, the actual line is, we built this country. We bled for this country. Ain't nobody going to tell me I can't fight for it. He starts off with we, we black people built this country. And I went, damn, <laughs> <laughs> they went there. I sort of like that this show came out because maybe it will filter some of the chuds out from watching Marvel stuff going forward. That would rule. Because one of the sad things is, um, you know, through the 2000s and into the 2010s, nerd culture became the dominant culture. Uh, comic books and video games became like the blockbuster tentpole movies. And one thing that sucks about that is some people can find ways to sort of twisted into being or about right-wing ideology and right. after this it, it maybe it'll act as some sort of like electric fly zapper to stop right-wing people from because you know how they protest stuff like oh yeah maybe we'll see videos of people burning their marvel box sets god that would rule no don't burn them give them to me tanner don't you know the only way the right wing can protest is by burning their own property no 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 <laughs> or in the case of nike buying nike products just to burn them that shit was hilarious i was like they have your money numb nuts you gave them what they wanted yeah, yeah i mean the, the, the social issues are such an important aspect of the show and i thought it was handled with grace with respect and actually said something one of the scenes that i think everybody thought was really strong was the first time that falcon is leaving isaiah bradley's house um and he's like yelling in the street in some like far off part of the part of town he's never been to and two police officers come up and are trying to just you know destroy him for being around yeah he's like they're like talking to Bucky he's like is this man bothering you Bucky's like no what the fuck are you doing and then Bucky got arrested which I thought was funny <laughs> one thing that I thought was sort of OP about this show like really a master stroke uh, for the show was that one of the ways it tackled social issues was that they had Derek Chauvin convicted of, as guilty <laughs> before the final episode. Kevin Feige was the prosecutor. He removed the mask at the trial. And he's like, it was me. It's Marvel, baby. Falcon and the Winter Soldiers. Fridays are only on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> that was taking a step most people wouldn't take to promote a show about social inequality made by Disney. But really, they have so much money and power that they were able to give us that. that they could have been doing this the whole time, but they were waiting. Disney could have stopped racism this entire time, but they waited until this moment. <laughs> I can't wait for people to point to, we convicted Derek Chauvin, racism is over. Like how when we like, we elected Obama, racism is over. The Falcon told some politicians that they need to shape up. Racism is over. I think what mattered there is not that they told him that privately it was black man Captain America did it in front of a bunch of news cameras. I think, I think they're like, well, shit, they everyone saw him tell us off. That, that's one thing that bothered me about the show is that after COVID, 
where half a million people died in our country because of political greed and politicians went along with it the whole time, that this show specifically, the finale is about saving vans full of politicians. That did not strike a good note with me. So I'm glad you brought up COVID because this transitions perfectly to the next talking point. When they were writing and shooting the show and they shot most of the show before the pandemic like really kicked into gear, they shot a decent chunk of the show before that happened, they had a plot line with the Flag Smashers where they were dealing with a virus that was causing a global pandemic. And they cut it out of the show because they thought it was too real. Allegedly, they, they haven't like come out and said this, but if you read the leaks and you can really tell there's a lot of times where it feels like they're editing around something. That's what they're editing around originally. Because remember that like first time you see the Flag Smashers? They're getting medicine. Specifically, they're getting vaccines. The original version of this show was set during, like, a parallel COVID scenario? Basically. And they kind of got rid of that because it probably... I don't know why they got rid of it. I think they were afraid of it being too real or it just being, like, a really uncomfortable thing. But either way, it was in there and it's edited around. And I think it shows because I do like the Flag Smashers, unlike most other people, but the entire time it did feel like something was missing. That's what was missing. The virus. Because the entire time they're like, things are bad. And the best thing you can get is like, oh, this teacher doesn't have enough school supplies. They do a lot of telling us things are bad and not enough showing. And I think it's because when showing it, it would have all been virus shit. The the mom character, you know, that big one, they're like, Mama Danya died of that virus. Oh, so they were. It was, it was a virus running rampant in the refugee camps. So, oh, my God. So there wasn't just, like, going to be a massive relocation of people. There was also a virus that was specifically affecting the poor refugees? Yes. And it got cut out. Because Marvel are cowards. Because <laughs> it's too real. All the poor people died of COVID while the rich people, no rich people died. Unfortunately, Captain America can't talk a virus out of being a virus. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you think that would have made the show better? I, I say this as someone who really liked the show and actually liked it more than WandaVision, specifically because of the last two episodes. I think it would have shot the show into the stratosphere. Yeah, I think everyone would have loved that show. That would have felt like, what are we going to do? Because that's one thing that's missing in the post-COVID world, is it feels like everyone's going to be crazy for the next 10 years because half a million people died, people are still dying, and the gen genuine response to it is, no, fuck you, back to normal, if they die, they die. We cannot have political change. Yeah, it's terrifying and disgusting, and the show would have been too real. Because I think the show also would have been like, well, we won't relocate the refugees, but... We're not going to give them the medicine they need, I guess. It's so disturbing. That's that's one thing I think is interesting about specifically this as a Marvel show is because it portrays when political action becomes extremism and it shows a very dumbed down model of it basically as the moment that you kill somebody innocent, except the innocent people are represented as working for the authorities, helping to oppress the, the they refugees. They are the authorities. yes. So it represents basically all violent, all political violence that isn't perpetrated by the state as extremism, which is so odd because in Marvel, half the time, the solution is punching somebody, punching the bad guy. Which is really unfortunate because when they first show Carly killing a bunch of people, it's basically just a warehouse. These people are just doing their job. I mean, it's not like a Nazi thing where it's like, oh, the Nazis were just doing their job. They don't have any control over where the medicine goes. You're right. Yet they were still killed for it. And that, that's a bad political violence. Yeah, that is a bad political violence because those people aren't your enemy. Uh, and, you know, that had to be roped in there because we all remember what happened to Killmonger, right? In Black Panther. It's about two billion people all over the world. It looks like us. Wakanda has the tools to liberate them all. He was right People about liked everything. Him too much. People liked him too much, so they had to make him over-the-top murderous in order for him to be a good villain. He, he, it worked because he was a killer villain. Who worked for the CIA. Never forget that. He's one of ours. Yeah, the CIA made him a murder machine. Mm-hmm. Marvel, Marvel always has to do that. I, I just think it's interesting that within the Marvel universe, violence against the people who are causing problems for you and, like, hurting a lot of innocent people is okay when it's one, like, 
villainous individual or an organization of Nazi-like people. But when the violence interferes with the political system, it's not okay, almost no matter what, because the political system enforcing the status quo, that's something superheroes are not allowed to touch. For some reason, that's so odd to me that Marvel, like, draws a line there where it's like, hey, if it's systemic violence caused by the political system, you can't touch that. That's all up to people and voters and the representatives. (laughs) I saw a tweet the other day that said something like every Marvel villain. Here's my argument. Here's my political critique that is very valid and correct. Also Marvel villain. I am a murderous psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, damn, they kind of haven't followed that formula. I prefer this formula, though, over their early thing where it was just like, the, the villain is the same as the hero, but bad. Iron Man 1. Iron Man 1, the Incredible Hulk. Captain America, Red Skull could punch, even though he never really did that in the comics. Iron Man 2 does it two ways where it's like, we have the suit guy that's you, but bad. And then we have the rich guy that's you, but bad. But Marvel movies used to just do the bad guy is same as hero, but whatever. But I prefer this thing for the villains. Yeah. It's more interesting. I I mean, it's still cheap and leaves a lot to be desired. Marvel, like, they'll do the thing where they'll have the characters allowed to do a civil war about specifically how superheroes are allowed to conduct themselves. But once it becomes a civil war between something that provides a real political opponent to the politicians in the world... Nope, they just, they're just the bad guys. Yeah, the closest Marvel got to that was when they revealed that S.H.I.E.L.D., their, like, FBI, CIA equivalent, was a Nazi organization the entire time. That's, like, the closest Marvel ever got to that. God, I love that, because that's, that's oftentimes why I say The Winter Soldier is one of my favorite movies, is because... That's actually how those agencies are. They are not Hydra. They were just bad from the start. Yeah, which ruled. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Operation Paperclip. Sorry, they are Hydra. Oh, my God, you're right. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, I think the pandemic stuff would have just improved the show in general, and it's a shame it got cut. One last thing I want us to talk about. Mm -hmm. It uh, came out yesterday, uh, after the show came out. It wasn't officially confirmed by Marvel, but it was confirmed by Deadline and the Hollywood Reporter Variety, all the trades, you know? The ones where they report something, it's real. They're making a new Captain America movie. With Sam Wilson as the lead. It's going to be written by the showrunner of the show. Malcolm Spellman. Yeah, they're making a new Captain... So it isn't just going to be like, oh, they made the black man Captain America, but it's going to be on the TV shows. No, they're going full fucking steam ahead. What do you think of that? Are you excited for a new Captain America movie made by the people that made Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Captain America. Black by popular demand. I am excited because I I sort of like this weird Jason Bourne style of action. It adds like a different contrast to all the other like Marvel styles of filmmaking that other characters get. Like Doctor Strange is psychedelic and um, Uh, Shang-Chi is about to do Kung Fu like Eastern Kung Fu type stuff. Yeah, they do these allusions to different genres inside of the action genre. And I I like this because it's like a gritty crime thriller style of action. And I'm always excited to see more of these because I personally think Winter Soldier nailed it. I think that's a really good movie. I liked Civil War a lot when it came out. That felt like uniquely better than a lot of Marvel movies for me. So... the, the teams behind the Captain America movies, at least since the first one happened, seem to be getting the style down better and better. And for them to, like, with an $150 million budget, they did six pretty okay to good episodes. I think them having, like, a similar budget just for a movie, they're probably going to knock it out of the park. And Anthony yeah. Mackie looks like he can really fill Chris Evans' shoes. What do you think yeah, about it? Yeah, he nailed it. Uh, I'm very excited for it. I will say the the team that made this show and is making that movie has nothing to do with the people who made those all those two Captain America movies you love. No relation. Completely different people. Those people made the next two Avengers movies and then they dipped out. That's um, interesting because I feel like stylistically this show was a lot like those movies. 
as far as like how it was shot and the way that it chose to be like a crime thriller, like intelligence agencies getting involved and like governments and all this espionage. It wouldn't surprise me if they intentionally tried to emulate it because that's the style you expect from these characters. So probably we'll get more of that then. That's awesome. I'm excited for it. I love Winter Soldier. It's one of my favorite Marvel movies. I really love Civil War when it's came, when it came out. I've soured on it a little since then because there's just like a lot of weird holes in it to me. <laughs> Most of Zemo's plans require him to be the luckiest man in the world. Yeah, I, he, Zemo's a great villain, but also I'm like, God damn, one thing goes wrong. I, I heard it compared to other movies like Skyfall and The Dark Knight. Everything has to go perfectly for your plan to work. But, you know, I'm excited to see more of that. That's going to be fun. And I want to see Sam Wilson, Captain America. Because first off, oh, my God, that costume, sexy as hell. That was sexy as hell, his outfit. I loved it. it. This and WandaVision seem to be ushering in an age where they can do the goofier comic book costumes, but they figured out a balance so that it just looks badass. Like it's it rules. We're out of the dark, gritty minimalism of like the early 2000s. And we're into the like, fuck it. Let's give him like crazy wings and shit. Yeah. And like, I just love the way he fights as Captain America, the way he'll be flying and then like throwing the shield. And then when he used his fucking uh, CIA bird plane to uh, identify who in the helicopter could pilot a helicopter and then just took out the pilot. The political implications were terrifying, but that was cool. Red Wing was the unsung hero of this show because he took it for the team twice. Jesus only died once. Red Wing died twice. When Red Wing came back, I literally went, Red Wing! <laughs> I was so happy. Fun fact, Red Wing in the comics is an actual falcon that Sam can talk to. Whoa! And Marvel are cowards for not doing that. Give yeah. us the talking bird. Yeah, Captain America 4 is going to be good. It's going to be bigger, blacker, better. I think that Captain America 4 is going to be in the style of the old movie Drumline. Good. Uh, yeah, overall, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I liked it more than WandaVision. I, I absolutely loved it again, mostly because of those last two episodes. I'm not sure if you're as high on it as me, but you seem to really like it, too. I want to turn have fun with it. I want to turn the mirror around for just one one more thing. Why do you like it more than WandaVision? I've been trying to there, figure that out. That's a good point. Um, first off, I think episode five of the show is better than anything in WandaVision. Episode five where it deals with John Walker's PTSD and it deals with the subject of race in America very well and has the best action scene in the show at the beginning. It's the action of Marvel at its best. It's the character work of Marvel at its best. It's dealing with social themes in a way I've never seen a superhero property really deal with before in a really interesting way. And it, it doesn't like say it doesn't like endorse armed revolution, but it really hammers on the point of this shit's fucked. We need to change something, which I appreciate. It tucked at my heartstrings more than WandaVision did because for the most part, WandaVision was cool, interesting and weird. But what I really love in movies in general are character work is the emotions, the thing that makes me feel Falcon and the Winter Soldier made me feel more than WandaVision did because in the end WandaVision, I still have this issue with it where Wanda was a sociopath that tortured a bunch of people and she didn't really face consequences for it. You're right. People here did get to face consequences. John Walker was everything short of dishonorably discharged and court-martialed. Um, Sam had to, like, carry Carly out. Like, someone he was desperately trying to help. Bucky had to admit to that guy, hey, I killed your son. Like, people faced consequences for the actions of this movie. They had to feel things in this show. And WandaVision, I think, was sorely lacking that. Was it cool, inventive, and weird and funny? Yeah, it was cool and weird. But I think that made me overhype it a little in my mind. Don't get me wrong. I still really like WandaVision, but Falcon and the Winter Soldier is more special to me. So WandaVision was a, a more fun mystery box. Like you were curious what was going to happen next. But Falcon and the Winter Soldier got at your soul. It, it, yeah, exactly. It gave you an emotional response that WandaVision couldn't match. Yeah, WandaVision at best in that second to last episode got me feeling things when we really dealt with Wanda's grief. And that made me feel a lot of stuff. But it's not like this show did where I felt the weight of so many people and their emotions and all these emotions and everything just banging each other head on. And then Sharon Carter, the power broker, like, Duh. it's about like the whole system and everything getting broken down. And uh, 
the, the hierarchies of white people over other people, and the power broker is a white lady. You can't escape it. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah, that's why I liked it more than WandaVision. I, I, I'm sure that's a hot take. I am sure I'm in the extreme minority with that, but I stand by it. Well, that, that does clear up a lot of questions for me. Um, I think that this was uh, sort of sort of a success, I, I hope. Um, I'm, I'm a lot more excited for Loki than I was for this. But what's what's interesting is I think this opened up the, the possibility of Marvel movies becoming more interesting because of what it explored. I agree. And I'm also really looking forward to Loki. That one might be two podcasts or one. We'll see when we get to it. It kind of depends on how the show plays out. Loki's going to be a lot bigger than this. Yeah, I feel like it'll have to be because it looks like it's doing a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell icon so you're notified when we upload stuff. And uh, like us on the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams. We have a Twitch page. Follow us on Twitch. I'm from New York. Thank you guys for listening or watching, and I will see you guys next time.